Good morning. Um, so as Kat said, uh, today is the fourth Sunday of Lent. And as a part of our Deep Calls Out to Deep series, uh, this Sunday we will be exploring the theme Deep in the Wilderness, Called to Deep Healing. Now, I'm not sure if there are other musical theater enthusiasts in our congregation. I think there are. Um, but I have to say that when I first read this theme and looked at this theme, the first thing that popped into my mind was a song from the musical uh, Children of Eden, and it's called Lost in the Wilderness. No wonder it got stuck in my head. Um, so the first act of this musical tells the story of Adam and Eve, and then later their sons, Cain and Abel. Um, obviously, it's not 100% biblically accurate. It's a musical, but it's a lot of fun to listen to. And in this song, Lost in the Wilderness, Cain is lamenting the fact that he and his family are stuck in the wilderness, forever kept out of this garden of paradise that his parents ruined the chance of him and Abel ever seeing. Um, and so he's trying to convince his brother Abel to abandon uh, the life that they have now to go see the world with him, break out of the like boundaries that their parents have kept them in because they're lost in the wilderness and they have to go out and see the world and be found. Um, and he's trying to convince Abel that uh, the God that their parents um, have told them about is not looking out for them doesn't care about them because if God was really looking out for them, then why would they be lost in the wilderness? Um, so although I hadn't really thought much about the wilderness or the wilderness experience before writing this sermon, I've come to realize that the wilderness uh, is depicted in the, how the wilderness is depicted in the Bible encapsulates a lot of what I value and treasure about the Christian faith. Um, one of my favorite things about Christianity is also something that makes a lot of people angry. Um, it's the mystery of it, and it's the fact that we will never have all of the answers to all of the questions that we ask, and that's okay. And there are so many paradoxes that are central to understanding the Christian faith. Um, the virgin birth, to name one, the fact that Jesus was fully divine and fully human, we'll never understand those things, and they contradict each other, but we can't have Christianity without them. Um, yeah, so this mystery can also be found in the wilderness. The writer Jenny Williams says that the stories of the Bible show us that the wilderness is a place of danger, temptation, and chaos, but it is also a place of solitude, nourishment, and revelation from God. What a wonderful thing that it doesn't have to be an either or. Uh, they can coexist together. So the wilderness can be a place of chaos and solitude. The wilderness can be a place of danger and nourishment. And it can be a place of temptation and a re revelation from God. The wilderness experience is a common one in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. It's a place people went if they were fleeing for their lives. It was a place they went if they were being punished by God. It was a place they went in order to encounter the presence of God. It was a signal of a long and hard journey they would have to face. Um, and so the following are some of the stories that I thought of immediately that take place in the wilderness without doing a lot of even research to 
figure out more. So the story of Hagar, um, if you don't know who Hagar is, she was the slave girl that Abraham and Sarah had. I think at this point they were Abram and Sarai. And Sarai chose, uh, since she was tired of waiting for God to bless her with a child, she decided that she would use her slave girl, Hagar, um, to have her husband have children. And it worked, but then Sarai was very jealous of Hagar and was pretty mean to her. So Hagar escaped into the wilderness and God found her there and comforted her there. And then Hagar eventually went back to Abram and Sarah and then she had her baby and then Sarah had a baby and Sarah didn't want Hagar around. So she sent her packing and she kind of probably viewed it as a punishment that she sent Hagar and Ishmael into the wilderness, but God never viewed that as a punishment and stayed with Hagar and Ishmael. It says that God watched Ishmael grow up in the wilderness all of their lives. Um, Joseph, this Jacob's son, Joseph's story starts, um, well, his long journey starts in the wilderness because his brothers find him and throw him in a pit in the wilderness and then sell him into slavery. And even though everything turns out okay for Joseph in the end, um, that doesn't like the fact that he becomes a very powerful person doesn't erase the fact that he was very hurt and alone in the wilderness. And it was a very hard journey for him, for him. Um, so Moses lived in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, and he probably more than anyone else in the Bible spent so much time in the wilderness and he more than anyone else in the Bible or in the old Testament, at least had direct communication with God. So those two things coexisted. Um, so he lived in the wilderness for 40 years after coming out of Egypt. And then once he, and then he encountered God for the first time in the wilderness in the burning bush. And then after he, <clears throat> sorry, after he um, freed the Israelites from slavery, uh, he guided them and led them in the wilderness for another 40 years. Uh, and then the Israelites wandered in the Israelite or in the wilderness for 40 years. And I won't touch on that a lot here because we're going to be talking about that later. And then both David and Elijah, not at the same time, obviously, uh, they fled to the wilderness when people were trying to kill them. So David was fleeing from King Saul and Elijah was fleeing from Jezebel. Uh, They're both trying to murder David and, Eli and Elijah, but they fled to the wilderness and they were protected by God there. And then coming to the New Testament, John the Baptist lived and preached in the wilderness um, and baptized people in the wilderness. And then Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness and was tempted there. So yes, the wilderness can be an isolating place. It was for Hagar, Joseph, and Moses especially. But even through that isolation, it can be a place where we meet God because God sought Hagar and Moses out in their hiding places, met them in the wilderness, and stayed with them for the rest of their lives. And yes, the wilderness can be a place of danger and chaos. The Israelites lost an entire generation in the wilderness. They turned their backs on God multiple times. They fought many ugly battles with neighboring people, um, won some, lost some. Um, but as Elijah and David show us, the wilderness is also a place of refuge, a place to go when others are trying to harm you and you will be greeted and cared for by God. 
So like I said, the most popular, or what I assume is the most popular wilderness story, is that of the Israelites wandering for 40 years as punishment for not trusting in God. Their time in the wilderness spans over four and a half books of the Bible, and because they were there for so long, there are hundreds of wilderness stories in, the, in those books to examine and learn from. But the one that we are going to look at today, uh, Kat already read Numbers 21, 5 through 9, but I'm going to read it again. Um, but a little bit of context for you. Uh, when this story takes place, the Israelites have already been in the wilderness for a while. They've already done the whole cycle of rebelling from God and then getting punished and then realizing they need God, uh, crying out to God, God forgives them, everything's fine, and then they rebel again. Um, so yeah, that's already happened a few times. Um, Aaron has died at this point and Moses has already been told that he will not see the promised land. He will die before they get there. So like I said, they've been here a while. Um, and then in the passage, in this same chapter, just a few verses above, a nearby king attacks Israel and takes some of its people prisoner. So Israel cries out to God and asks them or asks God to help them defeat this king and save their people. And God agrees and is with them and they fight this king and are successful. So they had just seen an example of how God provides for them in the wilderness, how God delivered them in battle and allowed them to fight off their enemy. And yet just one verse later, this story takes place. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. So again, the Israelites had just seen the power of God, and yet they still forgot so quickly and focus on how the wilderness isn't perfect, how although their basic needs are being met, they still desire more. They desire stability. They want their time in the wilderness to be a little bit easier. And so as it usually happens when they rebel and whine against God, God punishes them and reveals to them how much they truly need him and how they can't survive the wilderness on their own. And then as it usually happens when they are reminded that they need God's provision, uh, the Israelites repent and ask God to save them. They ask him to take the serpent away, to take the danger away to make them safe again. And although ex God accepts their repentance, he doesn't do exactly as they ask. He doesn't take the danger away, but he provides a way for them to be healed. The snake is still there biting the Israelites, but now the bronze serpent is there too, and the Israelites need to only look up at it to be healed. The main thing that I have come to learn about both the literal wilderness and the metaphorical biblical wilderness experience is this. We are out of our element. Being lost in the wilderness forces us to see that we cannot rely on ourselves. We need to rely on God. God is the only one that can see us through. In the wilderness, we are confronted with our own mortality, with our own shortcomings, with our own lack of control and power. 
We are forced to be vulnerable and show God our hand. It's like the wilderness strips us down, takes off the disguises we have been wearing or the false selves we have been trying to present. It takes away our need for control and puts that need back where it belongs, in God. In the literal wilderness, the Israelites wanted control. They wanted to know what was going on. They wanted to know when they were getting out. They wanted to know when they were going to be safe. They blamed Moses and they blamed God and forgot that they were the ones who were actually looking out for them and providing for them. So God put them in a situation where they could no longer deny he was truly in control. When they were bitten by the snake, they had to surrender and look at the pole and admit that God was the only one who could save them and, the, and only then could they be healed. So then in the Gospel of John, we see a call back to this Old Testament story of the bronze serpent. In John 3, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus about the concept of being born again. And in verse 14, he says, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus likens himself to this serpent for a reason. In our own wilderness experiences, we need only look to him and admit that Jesus is the only one who can save us in order to be brought to safety and healing. Now, our safety and healing might not look the way we want it to, and it might not happen right away. I mean, the Israelites didn't want the bronze serpent. They just wanted the poisonous ones to be taken away. And they were still stuck in the wilderness for another 30, 40 years. But that safety and healing came for them, and it will come for us too, as long as we continue to look up, keep our priorities straight, and remind ourselves who is truly in control. And when Jesus likens himself to this serpent nailed to a pole and lifted high for all the world to see and be healed by, the people listening at that moment, don't, they didn't know how his earthly life would end. But we, the readers of thousands of years later, do. And we catch that similarity. We know that in just a few weeks, we will observe the day that he was nailed to a cross and hung high for the world to see. To see his pain, to see his defeat, to see his death. That's what they thought that they were seeing, but that's not what they really saw. And that's not what we, who know the true ending, see. We see his sacrifice, his healing, his love for us. We see our salvation, which on a smaller scale is what the people of Israel saw when they looked up at that bronze serpent. Over and over, uh, God has been calling his people to look up, to be healed by the sacrifice he has lifted high for us to see. It's up to us to actually lift our eyes, and it's up to us to accept his provision. And when we lift our eyes up to Jesus, when we consciously put our faith and our trust and our lives in his hands, what kind of healing can we expect? I wish I had a more definite answer to that question, but I don't. Um, but I do know this, the healing that I am talking about today and the healing that I believe God is calling each and every one of us to isn't necessarily like a physical healing. Um, because the immediate temptation we face when we hear the hear the word healing uh, is to think of physical pain, physical ailments. Um, and while I definitely believe that Jesus has the power to heal any and all physical pain uh, that we experience, 
that's not necessarily a guarantee or even a calling um, of being a follower of God. So as Christians, there are some things that Jesus has promised us that will happen because of our love and our commitment to God. And being healed from physical ailments 100% of the time just isn't one of them. And because of that, it's really dangerous to equate faithfulness in God with um, being healed from all physical pain. So yes, in the bronze serpent story, the Israelites are being healed from an immediate physical pain. But the healing Jesus is talking about in John, when he, what he was lifted high to save the world from is not a physical pain. It's more of a spiritual healing and an inner healing. I, and I know that we, at one time or another, have all been in need of this deep healing we can find in the wilderness. I know this because we have a time in our service every single week that we dedicate to sharing the personal ways we long to see healing in our lives. How we long to have God meet us in the wilderness, how we long to see God meet our friends in the wilderness, or we use that time to share how we have already seen God in the wilderness, how we have seen God's provision and healing come to us or our family or our friends and how joyful uh, that we are not alone in this frightening place. Our times in the wilderness force us to be vulnerable and accept the fact that the hurt and the brokenness inside of us that we are trying to hide isn't truly what our lives are supposed to look like. Hiding behind a false self isn't what God is calling us to. This environment of the wilderness peels away our false sense of security and forces us to admit that God is the only one who can provide deep healing, provide the deep healing that we desire. We can't do it on our own. We can try, but as long as we are trying to do it on our own, our lives won't be full of the inner healing a relationship with Jesus can bring us. And with this kind of healing, uh, it isn't really an all or nothing experience. Um, it's not like you're either healed or not healed. I know that the sermon title is Look Up, Be Found, Be Healed. So there's this idea that as soon as you look up, you will be immediately found and healed. Um, and that's not entirely the case. Uh, it's not like one day you are broken and then the next day you are completely whole and healed. There's this popular phrase that says healing is not linear. Uh, that phrase bothered me at first because he, just to the human mind, it seems like healing should be linear. Like if you get a cold, you're sick, and then you just progressively get better and you don't go backwards. You just, you get better. Um, that's how we think healing should work, but that's just not how it usually ends up working. You get better and then you have a setback and then you get a little better, and then you get a lot worse, and then you get a little better. And that's just how it goes. Um, but all of that process is part of the healing, not just the good parts. And remember, the wilderness is a place of danger and refuge, a place of chaos and solitude, a place of temptation and revelation of God. It can be both at once. So if you are in the midst of a wilderness experience and you thought that you were on your way out, you thought your healing had already come, but then you feel like you're pulled back to square one, just remind yourself that the good and the bad are all a part of the healing and not being healed in the way that you want to be or in the way you thought you should be is nothing to shame yourself for. 
Um, so if you remember that song I told you at the beginning about Lost in the Wilderness, Cain and Abel. Uh, so since it was the first thing that popped into my head when I heard this theme, I was like, oh, I, I should find a way to put this in my sermon. So I found it and I listened to it again. And I was so disappointed because like it seems like it's the exact opposite message of what I wanted you guys to take away from the sermon because it's Cain just saying, we're alone in the wilderness, we're lost, there's no way out, we have to go find our own way, we do this on our own, stop believing in God, just come with me. Um, and that is the exact opposite of the message I want you guys to take away from this sermon, but it is a response that people have to being lost in the wilderness. Um, the Israelites certainly had that attitude many times, thinking that God wasn't actually watching over them and they needed to do things their way. And that's what ended up getting them into trouble. So I found a way to incorporate this song into the sermon. <laughs> um, so the second verse of the song, this is when Cain is trying to convince Abel to come with him. You follow all the rules, you swallow all the stories, and every night you wish on a star, dreaming your day will come, trusting in allegories, and every morning look where you are. Lost in the wilderness, lost slowly dying in the wilderness, with no chance of living until you confess you're lost in the wilderness. So Cain is mocking his brother for following their parents' God because it doesn't seem like God has done much for their family. Cain can't fathom the fact that God could be watching over them in the wilderness because like the Israelites in the bronze serpent story, he's too busy focusing on what he wants rather than who he needs. He can't believe that God could show up in a different way than he'd imagined. And if God doesn't bring healing and safety in the way that Cain wants it, then hey, that means there's no God, right? So the song ends with Cain dreaming of running away, and it gives us the beautiful line of, till one bright and distant morning, we may stop and look around. And there in the wilderness, finally we'll be found. And that last line is so powerful to me because Cain is trying to entice his brother to run away with him, forget all that their parents have taught, him, taught them and make their own way without their parents' God. And he's tempting Abel with this idea that if we do this, if we run away, if we forget about God, then we will be found. But what Cain doesn't understand is Abel has already been found in the wilderness. Cain is lost in the wilderness. Yes, but Abel isn't. Abel knows that God is watching out for them, which is why he provides his sacrifices without complaining, why he keeps hope that one day he will meet God while his brother dreams of starting over. Being lost in the wilderness, that's all about us. That's our own perspective. God never abandons us. He doesn't let some people wander off and keep other people close to him. It's our decision to be lost or not. Either we accept God's leadership and control and ask him to help us, or we keep our heads down, hiding from God, hiding away our pain, and convinced that we can do it on our own. Cain is still looking down, looking for any other way out, but Abel has looked up and he has been found. He has let himself be found. And Cain was right about one thing in his song. Uh, he says that we have no chance of living until we confess that we are lost in the wilderness. 
Looking up at that serpent, looking up at Jesus, isn't just about being healed. It's about admitting that we are lost without God and we desperately want to be found in the midst of our wilderness. Uh, there's an Instagram page I follow for the art and poetry that the creator Keely Shaw puts out. And as I got on Instagram this morning to distract myself from the fact that I was nervous about this sermon, uh, the first thing I saw was a post from her. And what do you know? It was about healing. So I decided to uh, put it out here. Um, and I think her words do a wonderful job of capturing how if you are in the midst of the wilderness feeling lost and alone, you might dream about this inner and complete healing that Jesus provides. Maybe healing feels far away, like a dream that you can't remember in the morning. You don't have to know what to say or how to keep being. Maybe healing isn't hiding, but in the warmth of tears released in the coming undone, in the pain that you allow to be seen. You can't hide from God in the wilderness and expect to be healed. You can't cling to the comfort of having everything put together and expect to be healed. You can't hide your pain from others and expect to be healed. It might not be instantaneous, it might feel far away, but that healing will come when you stop hiding, when you allow yourself to come undone, when you allow your pain to be seen, and when you finally look up. To close, I'm going to read a passage from Sarah Bessie's book, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, uh, which is a wonderful book that I would highly suggest. Um, so she says, I could envision life the way, as I believe God envisioned it. Unashamed, just, merciful, loving, life-giving, beautiful, nourishing, and peaceful. And I could move in that direction still. The miracle now would be in rising and moving every day toward life instead of death. I could take the path of avoidance and numbing, of bitterness and hiding, of wallowing and anger, of stubbornness and resistance, or I could limp, sometimes literally, toward life. And I would also add toward healing. Do you want healing? Do you want to be found? because you have to want it. You have to choose it. You have to look up in the wilderness and see that God is calling you to put your faith and trust in him, that God has been with you, but sometimes you refuse to admit it. And that even if the road to deep healing is long and it's a winding path that makes you feel like you're going backwards instead of forwards, and even if it takes 40 years, you need to keep looking up and keep reminding yourself that God is with you in the wilderness and God is leading you toward a deeper healing than we can currently understand. And there in the wilderness, finally, you will be found.